Good morning or good afternoon, depending on whatever time of day you happen to be watching this particular program. My name is Paul Mulhausen. I am a geriatrician and an adjunct professor at the University of Iowa Carver College of Medicine and chief medical officer at Telogen, which is a population health firm in West Des Moines, Iowa. Today, I'd like to spend some time uh, discussing with you the topic of sexual behavior and dementia. I have no conflict of interest report regarding this topic, but I do want to clarify that none of the medication treatments discussed in this presentation have an FDA-approved indication for the management of inappropriate sexual behaviors experienced by people with dementia. I have four main objectives um, for us to accomplish today. Uh, upon completion of this uh, presentation, I want you to be able to describe the changes in sexual behavior that are experienced by people with dementia and contrast them with those that are experienced uh, during the process of normal aging. I also want you to be able to offer appropriate clinical assessment and support when your patients with dementia or their partners present with concerns about sexual behavior change. I want you to be able to identify challenges that are encountered in the support of intimate relationships in long-term care settings, and I want you to be able to identify resources that can help you develop effective policies and guide management of intimate relationships in long-term care settings. And lastly, I want you to be able to develop appropriate assessment and management plans when inappropriate sexual behaviors present as the behavioral and psychological symptoms of dementia. This is a broad overview and we'll touch on a variety of topics uh, without taking a deep dive. We'll talk some about supporting intimate partners of people with dementia, but there is so much more to know. We'll talk about sexuality and institutional living, but there too, there's much more to know. And we'll also spend some time talking about inappropriate um, sexual behaviors and how to manage them. But again, there is much more to know beyond the uh, content of our discussion today. My hope is that you will use this presentation, this resource from the Iowa Geriatric Education Center as a starting point to dig deeply into each of these areas to improve your skills at helping people who suffer from dementia. Let's first start out by discussing the scope of the problem. Changing sexual behavior is a common experience in dementia, and we'll spend more time talking about that and contrasting it with the sexual experience uh, that occurs during the process of normal aging. Because of the issues of cognitive loss, intimate relationships for our patients with dementia often prove to be um, unsettling for many um, caregivers and can raise issues of 
uh, consent, rape, and abuse, especially in institutional settings where we are tasked with both protecting our dependent patients from harm and yet fostering health and well-being. Inappropriate sexual behaviors, which can be a behavioral and psychological symptom of dementia, are among the most difficult to manage. They are not only problematic in terms of how to help people with the symptoms, but they're also problematic in terms of the social disruption they potentially pose. I think it's helpful to start our conversation with a review of normal aging and sexual function over the course of normal aging. We know from both cross-sectional and longitudinal studies that men and women uh, maintain sexual function uh, well into their 80s and that uh, intimacy and some elements of sexuality uh, also remain important uh, in, for many people into their 90s. We know that women are less likely to, than men um, in old age to have a spousal or other intimate relationship and therefore are not as sexually active. This is primarily because of a absence or shortage of potential partners because men tend to die sooner than women. We know that sexual function does change with aging in terms of the frequency with which uh, couples engage in sexual behavior, the intensity of the um, activities of, of intimacy, and the way intimacy and sexuality are expressed. We also know that there is a wide range of differences that exist in the sexual function of the elderly. Lastly, I want to make a point that healthy, intimate relationships are strongly correlated with life satisfaction and well-being. And I, uh, our next slide, we're going to talk more about this. But this particular point is especially relevant to our discussion about uh, institutional living and the opportunity to foster and support um, intimate relationships in those settings. The benefits um, to uh, intimacy and sexuality, um, to well-being and health have been well documented. Um, all of us uh, throughout our lifespan have a need for closeness, tenderness, and warmth. Intimacy and sexuality can help us satisfy those needs. Intimacy and, and sexual relationships can uh, provide a sense of giving and receiving affection with people we love and care about. And there is, of course, the intimacy that comes from sexual relationships of a shared meaningful activity. All of these contribute to quality of life and well-being, and we know that healthy, intimate relationships are a predictor of high quality of life and well-being. For our patients with dementia, sexuality usually changes. So we find that sexual behavior will often change over the course of a, uh, an illness that causes dementia. Um, 
many of our patients with, with dementia will experience new behaviors that they have not had before, um, some of which may be um, inappropriate. Um, I want to reassure you that later in the presentation, we'll be discussing what that actually means in terms of how we define an inappropriate sexual behavior. So new behaviors may be a part of their experience with the illness that causes dementia. Alternatively, they may have a declining interest in intimacy or lose interest in sex altogether. And as in our last bullet point, these changes may impact um, established intimate relationships and spousal relationships. We also recognize that uh, many times the expression of intimacy and sexuality may be appropriate, but performed in an inappropriate social context. So our patients with dementia may at times forget the accepted social context for sexual behavior and intimate relationships, uh, creating problems in terms of the social acceptability of the behavior at the time that it occurs. It's important for those of us who are clinicians to make sure that when um, our patients who have an illness that causes dementia or are uh, a loved one or caregiver or spouse who uh, brings up the topic of changing sexual behavior, it's important for us to recognize both that uh, illnesses that cause dementia can affect sexual behavior, but that there is also the possibility that uh, an alternate explanation is present. We know that depression can lead to a diminished interest in sex. So when this topic comes up, it would be important to be vigilant for and screen for symptoms of depression. We know that there are medications that can affect sexual function, both in terms of loss of libido, as well as uh, increasing libido. So we wanna make sure that we perform a careful review of the medications. It's important for us to uh, assess for commonly experienced hormonal disorders that can disrupt sexual function. Um, thyroid disorders would be a typical one. For men, um, androgen deficiency would be another. So make sure that uh, when the topic comes up, an appropriate medical evaluation is done, including an assessment for previously unrecognized physical illness. It's, it's important both for the um, caregiver as well as for the patient that we, tr we um, engage in an appropriate clinical assessment of these changes in sexual behavior so that we can reassure uh, caregivers and loved ones that the dementia is the root cause and that we are not missing a alternative explanation. As we talked about in our previous discussion, um, helping the intimate partners of people with dementia cope with the changes that are impacting their relationship is extremely important. Unfortunately, we're not going to uh, spend a lot of time on this topic. I encourage you to undertake additional um, opportunities to learn more about this because I do think it is uh, a, an an area of care um, that uh, we need to spend more time understanding to help those people who um, are in 
valuable, intimate relationships with our patients who are suffering from dementia. There are some useful resources out there on the internet. The ones that I have found um, on the Alzheimer's Association website have proven to be especially valuable to me and to some of uh, my patients. So I encourage you to take a look at those resources and consider adding them to your toolkit of resources to help your patients who uh, have dementia and those who love them and care for them. There are some principles that we uh, can apply to help people um, who love and care for people with dementia to deal with the behavior changes that are being experienced by our patients. Some basic education to help them understand the causes of the behavior and to help them approach the behaviors in a matter-of-fact fashion without excessive emotional content, um, avoiding surprise and anger. Help them to learn the distraction and redirection techniques that can be especially helpful and useful when our patients uh, behave in a fashion that is sexual in nature and just in the wrong social context and can um, be distracted or redirected away from the behavior. Help our partners of our patients adjust to changes in desire. I know this can be difficult, but help them understand that it is a part of the experience of dementia and not something that they should take personally or have it potentially reflect on them as a, a, a personal shortcoming. Help your intimate partners of people with dementia take care of themselves. We know a great deal about caregiver burden and the stress of caring for people with dementia. Help your patients, intimate partners, learn self-care and um, refer them on to the Alzheimer's Association website where they can find these additional supportive resources. The reality for many people with um, illnesses that cause dementia is that at some time over the course of their illness, they will uh, live or spend time in an institutional or long-term care nursing facility. Uh, much of the literature on the topic of sexuality and dementia is focused on the management of both intimate relationships in long-term care settings and management of the disruptive and inappropriate uh, sexual behaviors that can take place over the course of an illness that causes dementia. Um, institutional settings, as we've alluded to early in the course of the presentation, have a dual responsibility to both support uh, happiness and function, including sexual function for the residents, and yet are also tasked with protecting the um, residents who are um, not able to protect themselves from harm. There are a few points that are worth mentioning. Despite my personal observation that we're, there is so much more to know about this topic. So we know that nursing facility residents do best 
when their needs for intimacy are met. We've already talked about the important health benefits of intimate relationships. And, and we know that nursing facility residents too have these needs for intimate relationships and that they uh, are, are healthiest and express the greatest sense of well-being when these needs are being met. We also know that um, long-term care nursing facilities have this dual responsibility to be supportive of sexual function of residents while protecting those who are at risk for exploitation. And then, of course, there's just the fundamental reality that maintaining the sexual integrity of nursing facility residents can be challenging. There are the social uh, views of sexual function and how different caregivers experience or, or view them. There are the issues of multiple stakeholders, including loved ones and family members. Uh, there is the um, challenge of assessing consent and um, whether and, and the ambiguity of many of the behaviors that we encounter that would in someone without cognitive impairment be viewed as uh, a evidence of consent. There are strong pressures in, in long-term care uh, facilities that favor limiting sexual relationships between dementia patients and nursing facilities. We've already talked about staff beliefs that may discourage aging and expressions of sexuality. We uh, know that consent may be difficult, um, may be difficult to interpret, may be ambiguous consent. Um, we know that uh, these long-term care facilities are obligated to protect vulnerable residents, and if families should object to sexual activity, they could in fact find themselves facing tort liability for a failure to protect. All of these um, pressures come together and, and create a culture, I think, that generally uh, limits sexual relationships between dementia patients. We aren't going to have time to dig into this in great detail, but I do want to encourage those of you who are long-term care providers and clinicians who work in long-term care settings to strongly consider this balance that um, we are obligated to embrace between fostering um, intimacy and healthy re intimate relationships and yet protecting our, the, the vulnerable residents who reside in our settings of care. Um, again, it's too, too big a topic for us, to, for us to address during this particular presentation, but I want you to strongly consider making policies that can guide your management of intimate relationships in long-term care settings, including those with dementia. Um, it's a, a tough topic to get your uh, head around, but there are some resources available that I think can be very useful to get you started in terms of thinking through a policy and thinking through how you want to approach this particular issue. Um, there are two online resources I want to specifically refer you to. One is found um, 
through the Center on Aging at, the Can at Kansas State University. Um, it's a peak module that discusses um, sexuality and long-term care. Uh, the link on this particular slide takes you to the list of peak modules that are available at the Kansas State University Center on Aging, one of which is the sexuality and long-term care. And then I'd like to refer you to the website for the Hebrew Home at Riverdale Center for Older Sexuality, where they offer a model policy and a, a sense of mission statement about how they approach the whole issue of intimacy and sexual expression at their particular home. And I think these two resources bring together nicely the education and thinking that might go into creating a policy as well as a model policy for you to uh, review and consider. From that topic, I want to switch gears a little bit and talk uh, more about inappropriate sexual behaviors. So inappropriate sexual behavior can depend a lot on uh, social context. If we think about what it means for it to be inappropriate, uh, let's include the term inappropriate in our definition, but perhaps more importantly, something that's disruptive and or distressing to either the patient themselves or the people around them, or a, a sexual behavior that impairs the care of the patient. So if you try to look at those uh, clinicians who've spent time trying to better define and understand this topic, these are the elements that go into defining uh, a sexual behavior that would be labeled as inappropriate. This is not unusual, it's not common, but it is not uncommon behavior symptom of dementia. In various settings, the prevalence can range between 2% and 25%. And of course, the uh, uh, prevalence in which it is found depends on the setting, depends on the severity of the uh, dementia, and it depends on how you define the behavior itself. Now, we do know that um, behavioral and psychological symptoms of dementia are a common um, experience over the course of an illness that causes dementia. And the point here being that a small subset of those behavior and psychological symptoms may manifest themselves as inappropriate sexual behavior. So it's common enough to spend some time thinking about it, but it is not um, a common problem among our patients with uh, dementia. There are a variety of ways to try to categorize inappropriate sexual behavior. Um, I think I'm going to offer three sort of models of categorization, uh, two of which come out of the medical literature and one I, I share with you from a colleague here in our geriatric psychiatry program. So um, in 1983, Saz uh, published a paper in which the inappropriate sexual behavior was broken down into three basic types. Sex talk, where foul language was used and it was not really in keeping with a patient's premorbid personality. Actual sexual acts, which included touching, grabbing caregivers, uh, exposing, or masturbating in public or private 
uh, places, and of course then implied sexual acts, which would be things like reading pornographic material in an open setting or requesting unnecessary genital care. You can see that these categories tend to be very much um, framed by uh, institutional setting. A different um, way to think about and categorize inter inappropriate sexual behavior has come out of more recent literature in which the terms intimacy-seeking and disinhibited um, have arisen. So intimacy-seeking would be normal behaviors that are simply um, out of social context. So uh, kissing, hugging, touching in ways that um, may be very appropriate kind of uh, behaviors when seeking closeness and intimacy, but because of the social context, they prove to be inappropriate. And then there's the notion of a disinhibited sexual behavior that's rude and intrusive and would be considered inappropriate in most contexts. And these would be um, inappropriate fondling, exhibitionism, and lewdness. And, and you can start to see there's a slight, slight difference in terms of, of contextualizing um, the behaviors between these two um, types of categorization. And then from my friend, Dr. Judith Crossett, um, I want to just share uh, this way to think about uh, inappropriate sexual behaviors in which the severity of the behavior in terms of its impact on the patient, the caregivers, and those around them um, are really how to categorize it. So mild behaviors would be telling offensive stories, uh, making remarks about appearance, staring at, staring at people, uh, asking for a date. A moderately severe inappropriate sexual behavior would be a crude sex remark, um, an attempts to discuss very personal sexual matters with people who aren't in intimate relationships, deliberate touch, um, propositions for um, sexuality, and then, of course, severe behaviors would be deliberate exposure of genitals, attempts to fondle people, um, forceful attempts to grab, kiss, or touch, or uh, forceful attempts at uh, sexual intercourse. So I think there, I want to offer these three ways to look at it. I think all three have some um, utility and um, can help guide you uh, in terms of helping patients and caregivers uh, manage and address uh, inappropriate sexual behavior. I want to remind everybody that a variety of disorders that commonly occur in old age may be at the root of inappropriate sexual behavior and that these behaviors are not unique or isolated to dementia. For our patients with dementia, Alzheimer's disease, vascular dementia, and frontotemporal dementia can all have uh, inappropriate sexual behavior as a manifestation of their underlying disorder. But there are a number of other central nervous system diseases that are also known to be at the root of inappropriate sexual behavior. And these would include Parkinson's disease, strokes, uh, people who experience brain injuries, 
Huntington's disease, multiple sclerosis, and others, including seizure disorders and um, encephalitis. So dementia is not the only illness that can result in these sexual behaviors. And when you are actually talking about inappropriate sexual behaviors in a long-term care context, it, it forces us to think um, about other disorders besides dementia, uh, which is the focus of today's presentation. There are medications that can stimulate libido and be a root cause of inappropriate sexual behavior. I've seen this a number of times in my own practice, and it makes it ever important for uh, clinicians who are trying to help address uh, inappropriate sexual behavior to review the medications and perform the appropriate clinical assessments. So dopamine agonists are notorious for uh, their compulsive side effects and their capacity to uh, heighten libido. So look hard for medications that uh, act by stimulating dopamine receptors. Mantadine is a medication uh, that has been found to increase libido. Benzodiazepines, maybe in a disinhibition fashion, and of course alcohol. So make sure that the assessment includes a um, inquiry into these types of medications. You know from your study of um, behavior and psychological symptoms of dementia that looking for environmental triggers and environments that uh, precipitate behavior and psychological symptoms of dementia are really a key part of care and a key part of management. This is also true when uh, working with patients for whom inappropriate sexual behavior is their behavior and psychological symptom. So look for sexually explicit material in the environment. If you think about what's on television nowadays, um, you might want to think about what kinds of uh, images are on the television screen that could be triggers. Um, another potential trigger would be uh, circumstances in which a, a resident is um, in a position to watch the care being given to another resident of the opposite sex. And you may want to look for clues that that could be happening and mitigate the circumstances by changing the environment and the privacy of the uh, resident that's receiving the care. Seeing residents of the opposite sex in bed can also uh, be an environmental trigger, maybe one that you'd want to think about in terms of uh, where room placement is for a resident who's experiencing inappropriate sexual behaviors. And then just the common theme of loneliness and boredom um, and the need for self-stimulation. So meaningful activities and an environment that fosters meaning can be an, an important um, treatment for the management of inappropriate sexual behavior. There are some basic principles um, that go, go into management of inappropriate sexual behavior. These basic principles are those that you um, learn or are learning or continue to master 
in your efforts to uh, most effectively care for those who have the behavior and psychological symptoms of dementia. First uh, step is gather the information. Gather the information that needs for clinical assessment. Gather the information you need to assess for environmental triggers. If the behaviors are taking place in a formal care setting, make sure that the documentation is there to allow caregivers, clinicians, to think through very carefully how to best uh, manage the inappropriate sexual behavior. Involve and inform family. Um, from my perspective, this is a very important step in the process. And, and part that we often forget is to support the family through this very difficult period. So make sure that part of involving and forming the family includes offers of support and help them come to a better understanding of what's happening. Um, when you're faced with a patient who has dementia and is manifesting their dementia through a symptom of inappropriate sexual behavior, be aware of your own attitudes and feelings. Earlier in the presentation, we talked about being having a matter-of-fact approach to these circumstances can be very constructive. So be aware of your own attitudes, your own feelings, and do your best to address these kinds of behaviors in a very matter-of-fact uh, fashion. And then as in all behavior and psychological symptoms that are experienced in dementia, individualize the management approaches. Uh, look carefully at the environmental triggers. Uh, try to find ways uh, that are uh, uniquely helpful to the particular patient uh, that is experiencing these symptoms. Remember that not all sexual acts are hypersexual. Um, may not all be rooted in disinhibition. Um, masturbation becomes inappropriate in its context. In a private context, may be viewed by as very appropriate. When performed in a public context, may be viewed as inappropriate. A simple solution would be to help a patient with dementia for whom masturbation is viewed as the inappropriate sexual behavior to find the proper context in which to engage in that behavior. Disrobing may be pure forgetfulness and not sexual at all. So think through the context in which it's happening and whether there are other cues to suggest that it may be in fact an inappropriate sexual behavior as opposed to just a manifestation of uh, memory loss. Sexual language may not be, may, may be unfocused. It may reflect just an emotional outburst. I'm sure many of you have experienced moments of deep emotion in which profanity came from your lips and it was sexual in nature and was just an unfocused emotional outburst. This may also be true in some of the patients who get labeled as having inappropriate sexual behavior. And then not all touching is sexual. Um, so keep in mind carefully part of the uh, assessment and documentation process is to sort out if these are uh, behaviors that may 
um, be easily solved through redirection and some kind of environmental change as opposed to addressing a hypersexual disinhibition. Try to understand the behavior. few things that I think are helpful to keep in mind when working with patients who have dementia and are experiencing symptoms of inappropriate sexual behavior. Don't ignore the behavior. Don't, don't expect it to just necessarily go away. Uh, assess uh, the behavior. Uh, try to identify triggers. Try to identify any underlying health problems. Um, and try to develop a management strategy around it. Don't get upset. We've talked about this. Be matter-of-fact about it. Um, so don't get upset. Keep clear. Keep calm. Don't keep telling your, your patient, the person under your care, that it's inappropriate and think that will make it all go away. These people um, are suffering from an illness that causes them to have dementia. And their inappropriate sexual behavior is a manifestation of their disease. And the, uh, the um, belief that just telling them it's inappropriate will make it go away is probably short-sighted. And then don't give mixed messages. If we're trying to create an environment to reinforce a behavior that minimizes uh, inappropriate sexual behavior, be very important for us to be cautious about any mixed messages that we might give uh, to the patient. Remember that in the behavior and psychological symptoms of dementia, non-drug strategies are first choice. We are going to talk about medications because they may be necessary in extreme circumstances, but Inappropriate sexual behavior should be viewed as one type of behavior and psychological symptom of dementia. And the treatment principles that apply to the behavior and psychological uh, symptoms of dementia also apply to inappropriate sexual behaviors. Think through first, is there a, is there a medical problem, a health problem, a pain problem, a physiologic need that is being unmet? So undertake the medical assessment of a change in behavior that would be appropriate for any change in behavior. Think through the issues of loneliness and boredom. Would a meaningful activities program, a way to structure the day, be helpful? A form of self-stimulation that is non-sexual. Think about environmental triggers and modify them. Identify, mitigate the triggers. Think about ways uh, that alteration of clothing might be helpful. This might be especially valuable for someone whose primary manifestation of an inappropriate sexual behavior would be masturbation in socially inappropriate context. Think about room location. We talked a little bit about that earlier when, when thinking about environmental triggers, but there are some simple environmental modifications that might be able to be helpful. Um, if you look into the nursing and medical literature, there are very few uh, case reports, very few randomized controlled trials of this approach of, env of environmental modification, but 
there's a lot of good common sense potential solutions out there that warrant a trial and can help us identify a very individual strategy which would allow the patient to um, be more comfortable, express inappropriate sexual behaviors uh, less often without having to resort to medications with side effects. Distract and redirect. That's a potentially very effective strategy for those who are engaged in a, uh, a sexual behavior that's not necessarily hypersexual, but simply being um, manifest in a socially um, inappropriate context. And then reinforce positive behavior. And that's the root of the recommendation not to uh, provide mixed messages. So reinforce the positive behaviors that our, our patients experience or, or manifest most of the time when they're not engaged in inappropriate sexual behaviors. There are medications um, that have been um, tried and uh, discussed in both case series and case reports. Um, the principle applies here that they should be used only when all else fails and are certainly not first-line uh, management approaches to inappropriate sexual behavior any more than they are first-line, they, they're inappropriate as first-line uh, treatments for the other behavioral and psychological symptoms of dementia. So bullet point one, use only when all else fails. And of course, the last bullet point is none are FDA approved for use. But you can see here they tend to fall into four categories. Uh, the selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors, uh, estrogens, antiandrogens, and antipsychotics. Um, the SSRIs, as um, those of you who prescribe them know, um, have a side effect of diminishing uh, libido and sexual drive, and it's the uh, this particular side effect that is being um, capitalized when we use these to try to help people who have inappropriate sexual behaviors. Um, none have really been studied in a randomized controlled trial. Uh, what you have available to you is uh, case series literatures and literature and case reports. Um, but in some individual circumstances, they have proven to be helpful. Estrogens, uh, the primary advantage to estrogens is that for those who may not be able to take a pill, there is a transdermal option for them. Antiandrogens are also available. Uh, Provera has been studied in a variety of case series and has proven to be effective for some uh, people with dementia who are experiencing uh, severe inappropriate sexual behavior, as well as uh, luprolide being used uh, anecdotally and in case series. The antipsychotics are probably the class of medication used most often, um, just as they are with the other behavioral and psychological symptoms of dementia. But again, like uh, as in any behavioral and psychological symptom of dementia, these medications have a number of side effects. They include a mortality risk and um, a black box warning for their use.
How to use these most effectively um, is not entirely clear. Um, there's at least one proposed algorithm out there. Uh, I think as in all the algorithms I've seen regarding um, behavioral symptoms of dementia, they acknowledge that the pharmacotherapy should be reserved for people in whom um, they, uh, the acuity is high and the risk for harm either to the patient or to uh, others around them are, are high. So this is one algorithm that's available um, to help guide you a little bit. Uh, you can see they have the uh, unique role for the transdermal estrogen and and earlier use of antiandrogens in patients who are not willing or unable to take a medication by mouth. In my own practice, there's not been a heavy burden of these kinds of symptoms. Uh, they have come up in my own practice. Again, they are not uh, common, but they're not uncommon. In, in my um, clinical practice, I have never had to use any other um, class of medication than a selective serotonin reuptake inhibitor. I have uh, colleagues who have had to um, resort to antiandrogens and estrogens on occasion. In, in my approach to this kind of a problem, I have felt it important given the um, ethical issues surrounding um, use of estrogen and antiandrogen in men that uh, a psychiatrist or a uh, expert mental health provider also collaborate with me in the care of these patients. So it has been my um, personal comfort level as a general geriatrician to uh, prescribe selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors for these circumstances, and it has been my general approach to expect to collaborate with a psychiatrist in the management of those patients who would need estrogen or antiandrogen therapy. There are a number of other medications that for which there are case reports, and I've listed them here. I think cimetidine is of unique interest, uh, both for its uh, pharmacology, uh, in that it has an antiandrogen effect, and the um, relative safety with which it can be prescribed. Don't forget that cimetidine is on the beers list for people who are experiencing delirium. So one of the things that might be challenging with the use of cimetidine is whether or not confusional states that happen while the patient is on cimetidine are exacerbated by the medication. Again, I want to remind you that none of these medications are FDA approved for use. And if you um, find yourself in a circumstance that you uh, resort to them, it should be in the context uh, when all else has failed. So my intent today was to give you a very broad overview of sexual behavior and dementia. That leads to a number of topics uh, to which we really haven't given full due. And I encourage you to use this particular uh, resource 
as a platform on which to dig deeper into some of these important topics. We know that sexual behavior commonly changes in dementia and it impacts the intimate relationships of those people who are suffering from illnesses that cause dementia. It can be very helpful for us to um, have the resources and the skill sets we need to support the intimate partners of people with dementia who are going through the sexual behavior changes that are commonly experienced. Long-term care nursing facilities are tasked with the dual obligation of fostering and supporting intimate relationships, yet protecting those residents who are vulnerable. It's important for uh, long-term care providers to develop the kinds of policies and procedures they need to guide them through the management of intimate relationships of their residents with dementia. And I've shared with you two resources that can be used to help you initiate this process of policy development, if that would be appropriate to your circumstances. We've talked a lot about inappropriate sexual behaviors, which are clearly among the more difficult behavior and psychological symptoms of dementia to, um, to manage, um, both because of the social context in which they occur, as well as the emotional um, nature of uh, our reactions to inappropriate sexual behaviors. Remember that uh, inappropriate sexual behaviors are one manifestation, one type of the behavior and psychological symptoms of dementia, and that the basic principles that apply to the management of BPSD also apply to the management of inappropriate sexual behaviors, including that non-drug uh, treatments are first line. Although medications have been um, studied, the evidence base is not strong, and there are no medications that are FDA approved to management inappropriate sexual behaviors. Again, it's another reason to rely on non-drug treatments as initial therapy, and to recognize the evidence to guide you in your use of these medications is limited, and that drug treatment should be used as a last resort. Thank you for your time. I hope this presentation was helpful to you. Um, if you have any questions, you should address them to the Iowa Geriatric Education Center, and they have a whole uh, library of resources that should help you um, in your own aspirations to provide the best care possible to your patients who are suffering from dementia.